Well, surely to the rescue again, as usual, but it's just a silly reminder that really when people need help, we want to be able to be prepared to help them. And we have this thing every year that we do training called that counseling and discipleship training. And sometimes the word counseling just freaks you out and think, oh, that's just too big. I can't do that. And so I want you to think very clearly. This in my hand right here, the scriptures, this is the right tool. This is the God-given tool for helping people. And so when we talk about counseling and discipleship training, what we're really saying is intensive training in the scriptures to be able to use it to help people in the real issues of daily life. Because this word, this scripture is inspired by God and it says it's profitable for teaching, for knowing what's right, for correction, for how we ought to live, for reproof, for how, what we need to stop doing, and then for training and righteousness, for how we would live in endurance and righteousness. So you may be thinking about that and think, oh, no, I don't, I'm not prepared to be a counselor. No, it's simply about being equipped in the scriptures so that you can help people in the real issues of life. So I encourage you to look at how you would participate when that training starts in January. If you have other questions out under the, over in the courtyard at the Equip Gazebo, there'll be folks who can answer your questions there. So this is our tool. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I invite you to open up to Mark chapter 7. We've been looking at the encounters of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And it's been a fascinating study to look at all the different people in all the unique circumstances that Jesus encounters and how they experience him, regardless of who they are or what's going on in their lives. But before we look at this encounter in Mark chapter 7, I need to give you some context. In other words, what's been going on? Key to this is going back to more than a month ago, early November, we were in Mark chapter 6, where it says that Jesus said that they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. What had happened was Jesus had taken the 12, paired them up, said, you two go there, you two go there, you two go there, you two go there. He sent them out on mission trips, if you will. They returned full of joy for the work that God had done, but exhausted from the ministry. And Jesus says, let's go away and rest. And he suggests a vacation cruise. Let's go on a boat to a secluded place. That's the plan, except the people on their feet were faster than the disciples on the boat, so that when they got to the secluded place, it wasn't secluded. It was filled with people looking for Jesus. So what he does, this is what we saw, he postpones it. Seems like he cancels it, but what we're going to discover is he postponed it. Now, significant time later, in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, we see the second attempt for getting away for rest. If you have a copy, look at it. Mark 7, verse 24. It says, Jesus got up and went away from there. We'll see where there is in a moment. Went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted what? You get that? This is the hideaway, if you will. He gave up on the vacation cruise and he chose a new Airbnb option. Let's go find a house. Let's go hide out. So he is seeking 
some rest for the disciples. Now, geographically, it looks like this. Med Sea over here, Sea of Galilee feeding the Jordan River going down to Jerusalem off the, the map. This is the primary area where Jesus was when he did his ministry. Actually, not down in Jerusalem, but up here on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was his home base, if you will. So when it says, and he went away from there, he leaves Capernaum and goes 35, 40 miles west. You got to be committed to rest if you're going to walk 40 miles to rest. You understand what I'm saying? Wow. How about we not go and rest? They walk 35, 40 miles to go into this house so that what did the text say? No one would know. So what's happening, the context is this. Jesus has left town, Capernaum, and he is in pursuit of anonymity. He is going, really, in some sense, to hide for the purpose of resting for he and his disciples. But what we're about to discover from the text is it's without success. So the vacation cruise failed, Airbnb fails as well. Here's why it fails. Verse 25. But after hearing of him, so the word's out, he's no longer anonymous. After hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Any moms in the room? Yeah, uh, make this real here. Daughter demon possessed. And you've heard that this guy used to be 35, 40 miles away is now in town and you think he can help. That's what's happening here. So she is, she's at the house looking for help. It tells us a little bit more. It says, now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Not a one request, she, what's it say? Kept asking him. Now, let's pause for a moment. Remember when we study the life of Jesus, there are four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of the encounters Jesus has with people, some are recorded in all four gospels, some only in three, some only in two, some just one of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This encounter is recorded by Mark and by Matthew. And so whenever I study these, I lay them side by side. And you'll often find, we're going to do this this morning, you, you might have to keep your finger in Mark 7 and also Matthew 15, because that's the parallel passage. This is Matthew's account of this encounter with this Gentile woman is in Matthew 15. And it tells us there in verses 22 and 23 this. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out saying, have what? Mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly, there's no other demon possession, but cruelly demon possessed. But then Matthew adds this, that we don't get the picture of in Mark. Matthew adds, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. Sometimes Bible stories can feel sterile. 
It's all very nice and clean. Things change when people start shouting. You notice that? Why is she shouting? Yeah, the other one. she's desperate. This is not, uh, could you please help me? She, she does not want to leave unless her daughter is going to get help. So she is at a fevered pitch. This is an emotionally packed moment. And what I notice is this. What do the disciples want to do? Yeah, they're going, you're messing up the vacation. We're here for rest. And they want to send her away. But it gives you a bit of her intensity. It's one woman and 12 men. And they're gone. Jesus, can you help us? <laughs> I had a guy tell me after Thursday night, he said, you know, I think the disciples were gone. Jesus, we saw you quiet the wind and the waves, but could you quiet a woman? <laughs> I didn't say that. I was just repeating what that man said. <laughs> so send her away. Now, this is not the point of the encounter, but I found myself... Uh, a little cut by this text because ultimately, you see what's happening here? They went on a trip to get away and they didn't, it's following and they just want to send her away. And I had this horrible thought, Doug, when are you like these guys that you are more committed to peace and quiet in your life than in seeing the work of God happen in somebody else's life. Does that not cut you? Because I, I don't, I think, I think I can confess for all of us that we have those moments where you see the caller ID tells you and you're like, oh no. See, now some of you are with me, you're like, Ugh, okay, I didn't think of it that way. You, you want, I want some rest more than I want deliverance for that little girl. That's not the point of this encounter, but it's a convicting moment to recognize. Sometimes we can tend to treasure and protect the lesser things and sacrifice the greater. Because... I mean, if, you, if you've been tracking with us, if you've been following Jesus through these encounters, the circumstances are a little different, the names are different, but in reality, we've seen this play out time and time again. A desperate person comes with a deep need, they cry out to Jesus for help, and he helps them. So verse 24, the in the verse 23, the disciples go, send her away. Interesting, they don't say help her. They say send her away. But you know what's coming, verse 24. Oh, I'm sorry, before we get there. A Gentile daughter is demon-possessed, and what's she begging for? Mercy. That's what she's begging for. She's begging for mercy. And so we see what's coming. Jesus says, I'm merciful. Your daughter is healed. 
Now, that's, what we th- that's exactly what we would expect coming. In fact, if you don't expect that, then you haven't really been tracking the what Jesus. Because what Matthew 15, 24 really says is like, what? He doesn't say, I am merciful, your daughter is healed. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, whoa, whoa. Who do he say that to? A Gentile woman. And so what is he in essence saying to her? No. No. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. You don't qualify. Does that not stop you? Does that not make you go a little bit right now this morning? Wow, Jesus. Wow. Where's your heart? No, no. He says no to her. He refuses. And and absolutely crazy. He refuses on what basis? (laughs) Yeah. She's not Jewish. I mean, talk about profiling. Jesus says, nope. You're not the lost sheep, Gentile. <laughs> now, if you, if you have done any bit, as we have already looked at the text, and entered with me into this emotionally packed moment, you're feeling like, whoa, this is, ah, ouch. She's going to go home. Did, did he help? We're Gentiles. He's here for the lost sheep of Israel. It just feels cold. But you haven't seen nothing yet. Well, Mark, remember, hold them side by side. Mark says, and he's saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Did he really just say that? uh, Folks, what did he just call the woman? He just called the woman. Now, now, did he say, woman, you're a dog? No, but he said, no, lost sheep of Israel. That's why I'm here. And they, in this little analogy, the lost sheep of Israel, who are they? Which makes you... A dog. See, this is why some, we haven't heard lots of people talk about this text because you're like, yeah, I don't want to unravel Jesus calling a woman a dog. Can you imagine what happens with that? In, uh, I think it was 97, you know, they do archaeological digs in this part of the world finding history, and in 97, they, they dug up this in Tyre where this event takes place, and it says, in the Tyre times, Jesus calls woman with demon-possessed daughter dog. That's a, that's a joke. No, that, that's not true. Some of you are like, wow, really? No, 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 no. Uh, Tyre times, I made that up. 
I'm simply saying, is that not what goes down today? I mean, talking about incorrect, which makes me go, I can hardly believe how the woman responds. Because you think she's going to go, slap him. No. But what is the first word out of her mouth? So you have to be in actually Matthew 15 for the first word. What's the first word out of her mouth? Matthew 15, verse 27. Yes. Does that not surprise you? No, no, lost sheep of Israel. Uh, You can't take the food for the children and give it to the dogs. Not, you can't call me a dog. Yes. Yes. Yes, what? Yes, Lord. That's your answer. Yes, Lord. So surprising. I'm so surprised what Jesus says, and then I'm so surprised what she says to Jesus. Yes, Lord. Next word. But even the dogs under the table feed on the crumbs. We got a sharp one in the house. Is that not brilliant? This is absolutely brilliant, folks. You see, she does not argue with the analogy. She doesn't go, that's so offensive. Everything I've heard about you must be wrong. She joins the analogy and says, yeah. But I've seen this. You get the children, the children get the food, but they're sloppy and sometimes they, all, they don't like it. And you, you have any of your kids feed the dog under the table? Uh-huh, that happened in our house. They confess later. She's going, I've seen this. I'm not, I am not offended by what you've said. I agree with what you've said, but I'd like to say something back. Dogs get crumbs. What did she just, what did she just call herself? I'll take crumbs. I think Jesus was impressed. <laughs> Check this out. He goes, because of that answer, that's really good. Because of that answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Now, some rude lying person would say, oh, good one, go and get her away, but not really have done it. But that's not what Jesus. He says, <laughs> That was really well played. That was really well done. Go. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. What a phenomenal story. Begging, shouting, get her out of here, Jesus. Only lost sheep of Israel. Not good to throw the children's food to the dogs ah but even the dogs get the children's crumbs right you get your request you know what it's in the Matthew text one of my favorite moments is is what he says to the woman a woman (laughs) your faith it's great Now, you're all sitting there. Uh Okay. 
your faith is great. <laughs> what? what if Jesus said to you, wow, your faith is great? That's, pretty, that's a pretty good remark from the author of our faith. Because do you know how many times he said to the 12 disciples, the guy he had personally chosen to be the instruments through the gospel, through which the gospel would go to the ends of the earth? Do you know how many times he had said to those 12 guys, whoa, guys, man, your faith is great. Five times. Nope. Zero. He had never once said to those 12 guys what he says to this woman. Do you, do you understand what I just said? <laughs> you know what he has said to them? <laughs> you of, no, 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 that's the best they ever got. <laughs> Little faith, you of no faith, and where is your faith? And do you still have faith? Do you still not have faith? The best they ever got was you of little faith. And this woman who's been shouting at them and that they want to send away gets the great faith label. I wonder if that burned their ears just a tad. What? This is awesome. And it's got to, it's got to cause you to go, all right, I've spent my life figuring out the faith of the disciples. Maybe actually I should be going, all right, <laughs> what's happening with this woman? Because that's who I need to learn from. And you're right. We need to learn from this lady. Because Jesus says that faith that she expressed is great. So what came out of her mouth that made her faith great? Because what's going to come out of our mouths or not come out of our mouths that would cause Jesus either to say, little faith, no faith, or great faith. First two words again. Yes, Lord. What was she saying yes to? <laughs> That's who. What was she saying yes to? Mm. She was saying yes to the children Get the food first. Who are the children? The Jewish people. She, she is not put off. She's not offended. She's not angry. She says, yes, Lord, it's true. The work of God has always been to the Jew first. This isn't a Jew saying, us first. This is a Gentile going, you're right, them first. Yes, Lord. It's always been, always been to the Jew first. And can, can I take you through scripture really quickly? Genesis chapter 12, a man named Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. The Jewish people all started with one man named Abram, who God just said, I choose Abram. There was nothing that he had done to warrant, to merit God's choosing. God chose one guy 
who was married and had zero kids and was old and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I'll curse. My blessing will be all over you, so much so that if those who are against you, I'll be against them. God chose Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. The work of God has always been to the Jewish people first. Matthew 10. Remember we had looked the sending out of the 12 disciples in pairs? We looked at it from the Gospel of Mark. Matthew 10 had said when he sent them out, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter, enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't know if you knew that, but the, the first mission trip the disciples were sent on, no Gentiles, only go to the Jewish people. Because the work of God has always been to the Jewish people first. I'm not ashamed, Paul writes, of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. So what were her two words? Yes, Lord. All great faith begins with acknowledging, I realize I'm not deserving. I realize I'm not deserving. Yes, Lord. Third word? But, but, and then she says, the dogs get the crumbs. What's she saying? Yes, Lord. The work of God has always been to the Jew first. But, Lord, the work of God has never been for the Jew only. Yes or no? Always? I mean, never? It's never been to the Jew only? All right. Go back to when it all started. Genesis chapter 12. I read verses to you, one, two, and three. Well, most of three. I didn't read quite all of three. Because all of three says, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It will be to the Jew first, but not to the Jew only. Uh, Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. To the Jew first, but not only to the Jew. So when Jesus sent the 12 out on their first mission trip, he sent them to who? Jews only, only, but after his death, burial, resurrection, prior to ascension, he says, now go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And Acts 1, 8 says it this way. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish life. And then Judea, the land of the Jews. And then to, oh, Samaria. Half Jews. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because the, the work of God has always been to the Jew first, but to 
then all the world, never to the Jew only. So what's the woman saying that's such, such great faith? She's saying, yes, Lord, I agree. I am not deserving, but you also work among the undeserving. What did the woman want? What was the one word? She wanted mercy. Matthew 15, 22. Have mercy, but don't miss this, on me. See, we can talk about the work of God globally to the Jew first and then to all nations. But there's a personal element here. There's the personal element that she's saying, not just have mercy on Gentiles, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And who did she admit she was? She admitted that, that in the analogy, she was the dog. But she also believed what? Dogs still get some. And Jesus goes, great faith. Why? Because great faith, boy, do not miss this, friends. Great faith is admitting personally That the work of God is always reserved for those who admit that they are the undeserving, the unworthy. This is not just a, a ministry philosophy. This is personal. You know the irony of the gospel? The irony of the gospel is those who think they're deserving will never, ever receive it. And only those who think they never could receive it can. Did you capture that? This is part of the reason. Well, the gospel has two stumbling blocks. And it may be a stumbling block for some of you right now this morning. The gospel has two stumbling blocks. First stumbling block is this. I am undeserving, unworthy of the work of God in my life. That what, do I, what I do deserve is God's wrath upon me. That that's what I deserve. It's, it's not a, a 50-50 deal. I was talking to the Jags for chapel last night, and we were talking about humility. And humility acknowledges that 100% of success in my life is because of the Lord. And we often think, no, no, it's more 50-50. I mean, I have to do my part. I have to work hard. I have to be smart enough 
And I challenge them, I'm going to challenge you this morning. If you think, well, I've done my part, who gave you the strength to do your part? Who gave you the opportunity to do your part? Who gave you the health to do your part? You see, 100% of anything good, not 90%, 100% of anything good in your life, 100% of anything good in my life is grace. In other words, I didn't deserve, I didn't deserve 50% of it. I didn't deserve 40%, 30 20 I didn't deserve 1% of it. There was absolutely nothing worthy about me that God would say, I'm going to do my work in your life. Nothing. And so, therefore, one of the greatest stumbling blocks to the gospel is the willingness to admit, like this lady admitted, I'm undeserving. I'm not going to bow up against that. How dare? And nor, see, as I studied this text, I had this awful sadness about me because I had all these memories of how we would pray for people and our prayers would go something like this if this was the scenario. Woman, this this this. God, this woman's daughter is so sick and she needs help. And you know, God, that she has really sought to please you. And you know she's tried to raise her children in a way that honors you. And you know that she has been faithful. What are we doing? We're trying to, to, trying to talk God into the worthiness of a person to receive his work. What an absolute missing of the truth of the word of God. The truth of the word of God is it doesn't matter what we have done. We are 0% worthy. And actually, any thought that we are disqualifies us. So what's the second stumbling block? Well, the second stumbling block is, oh, I feel, okay, you've convinced me. I'm a worm. I'm awful. I'm terrible. No good. Just let me hang my head and get out of here. Now, the second stumbling block is, though you are 100% unworthy, there is a God who is merciful that gives to the undeserving. See, I, I, I don't ever want us to think any single thought we're worthy. But nor do I want us to stop and wallow in our unworthiness. There is an admitting, I am unworthy, but the woman not only admitted, I'm unworthy. Yes, Lord, but you have mercy that flows to the unworthy. And so there ought to be, if the Lord is speaking to our hearts this morning, there ought to be on this roller coaster in some sense where you and I just hit the bottom of going, oh man, there's nothing good in me. But then we realize, but there is a good and gracious and merciful God who says, I love you. And I'll give you what you don't deserve. 
I have crumbs for those who admit they're dogs but believe I have crumbs. Do you capture that? Send her away, Lord. She's shouting at us. She's not worthy. Send her away. Oh, that's the very reason she is qualified. And so our pride often disqualifies us. Or then our shame keeps us from believing that a God could mercifully and graciously love and forgive unworthy folks. Do you know how many times Jesus said great faith? I'll take that as a no. <clears throat> Twice. One other time, Matthew 8. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, this is hometown, 35 miles back to the east. Jesus entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him. So this would have been Jew or Gentile? A Gentile leader of soldiers. A centurion came to him, imploring him, begging him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. So we have a man, not a woman. Both are Gentiles. This is not a daughter. This is a servant, both in desperate need. And have come where? To Jesus. In this situation, Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. I admit I am unworthy, but I believe that you are gracious and merciful. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes and another come and he comes into my slave. Do this and he does that. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, uh, disciples, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anybody in Israel. He says, great faith. In Capernaum, not to his disciples, not to a Jewish person, but to a Gentile. And when he leaves the region of the Jews and goes into a Gentile region, he finds great faith again. Do not miss this, folks. He finds it because great faith is rooted in an admission of unworthiness. And if we're anywhere else, We're with the disciples, not <laughs> with those that Jesus says are great faith. That which, that's the, it's the common one. But it doesn't stop. Remember? I'm unworthy, but you are merciful to the undeserving. And so... Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, when he launches into that which would describe the kingdom of God, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not poor in wallet, 
poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who know they are 100% undeserving. Blessed are those who recognize they are bankrupt when it comes to being worthy. Blessed are those because theirs is the kingdom of God. Apart from being in poor spirit, you don't get the kingdom of God. So, we called this Jesus Encounters an Insightful Outsider. What was she outside? <laughs> she was outside the lost sheep of Israel. But she was insightful. You remember when we defined insightful two weeks ago? The connecting of the dots. The ability to take the truth of Scripture and connect it to the realities of my life. She's insightful. And so she goes, I agree. Yes, Lord. I am undeserving. That's how outsiders become insiders. When they simply acknowledge, I am undeserving. That's humility. It's a stumbling block because then it's offense to our ego. But God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. I'm not asking you to answer out loud right now, but I am asking you to answer this question right now. Do you consider yourself 100% unworthy? Totally undeserving of God's work in your life. It's where great faith begins. Do you see yourself that way? And if you do, don't stop there. Don't wallow there. Don't walk out with your head hanging low. Because great faith, outsiders becoming insiders, is that's the first part. But what's the second part? But, what? <laughs> but believe Jesus is merciful to the undeserving. Two stumbling blocks. Either I don't think I'm undeserving, or I don't believe that Jesus would be merciful to me. Mm. So do you believe that Jesus is merciful to you? I want us to, to respond to this text in two ways this morning. First, I want us to respond by taking communion together, the Lord's Supper, for this reason. And you can put your stuff away if that will help you. I want us to, well, let me tell you, big picture. We're going to do two things. We're going to do communion and baptisms for this reason. Communion is the reminder of God's grace and mercy to us. That we were deserving of the wrath of God, but Jesus took that wrath upon himself. That his death on the cross was the just dying for the unjust. 
that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It is admitting that we are undeserving, but that we are believing that Jesus has been merciful to us. So we're going to, guys, come on up. We're going to take this. But I don't know what you all look like over in south, but let me tell you what they look like in north. Here's what they look like in north. I don't see hardly any faces that say to me, I believe God is merciful to the undeserving. This, folks, what we're about to do is a very sober reality that Jesus paid the penalties. Jesus died on the cross, but this is the joy of the Lord to us that he has been merciful to us. So uh, as we take this, we take it as dogs who got crumbs. That's joy. I know how Hunter wagged her tail when she got crumbs. (laughs) Joyful. And then to be able to Rejoice as we hear not just the principle, Jesus paid the penalty, but we rejoice in the personal stories of children and an adult who have trusted in Jesus and been forgiven, receiving mercy. As the elements are passed, let's remember his mercy is more. What love could remember no wrongs we have done Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more Praise the Lord His mercy is more Stronger than darkness New every morn Our sins they are many His mercy is more What patience would wait As we constantly roam what Father so tender is calling us home He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more Praise the Lord, His mercy is more They are many, His mercy is more. Let's sing together of His riches of kindness that He lavished on us, it says. What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. 
is the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness. New every morn, our sins they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more see how good a truth is that uh, have you ever considered Attempting to count your sins? <laughs> You'd run out of fingers and toes in a hurry, wouldn't you? I mean, really, to count your sins, we'd lose count. There's so many. But what's the phenomenal truth the Scripture declares? Whatever number we'd come up with, what would we discover? There's more mercy. The mercy count is always higher than the sin count. How good is that? And that woman went home with a joy-filled heart. She came with a heavy heart, desperate, pleading, shouting. She went home with a joy-filled heart. Are you going to go home with a joy-filled heart tonight? Today, are you going to go home? I hope just singing in whatever voice the Lord has given you. Sins are many. His mercy is more. I hope that goes with you all week. I hope you whistle it. I hope you hum it. I hope you remember the mercy count is always greater than the sin count. Hey, I'm a dog, but I've gotten crumbs. Praise the Lord. Let's take with gratitude. Lord, with tremendous joy, we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the promise that your work has always been to the Jew first, but never been to the Jew only. Thank you for those who have trusted in you, who have acknowledged undeserving, but believed in your grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for making us new. And thank you for the privilege of walking in newness of life. Lord, now as we celebrate the tremendous gift of your salvation, and we hear the testimonies of children and adults, that we would rejoice in you, the God of our salvation, merciful and gracious. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and come on over here. All right. I was praying to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I have disobeyed you. 
But because of you, my sins are forgiven. I want to be baptized because I want to be a Christ follower, and also Jesus told me to. Now I know who created me. Now I know who died for me. Now I know who is so merciful. I want to glorify him, and I want to live like he did. My favorite verses, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Romans 4, verse 20. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. This is Ava Reed Quinones, and she is uh, very proud of her faith, and she has been telling my wife and I how much she loves Jesus and wants to be baptized. So, uh, are you ready, big girl? Is Jesus your Savior? Yes. Well, it's a great privilege to baptize you, my Christian sister. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Yesenia Schisler and I'm nine years old. I began my relationship with God when I went to a concert and asked God to be in my life after listening to the Christian music. Me and my dad prayed, I admitted I'm a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross for me to forgive my sins. I accepted his free gift of forgiveness. Now I have Jesus in my life. I want to be baptized because I know God loves me and wants me to be with him. I want to give my life to God. Being baptized will show everyone that I'm a Christian. Ever since God has been with me, I can forgive people more easily and it feels more real. My favorite verse in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I love to remember this always and think of it in hard times. Praise the Lord, his mercy is What a very special day. I, I want to first thank my family and friends who were able to be here today. Thank you so much for sharing in this special day. But I also want to thank my CFC family for all those Sunday morning school teachers, for all those Wednesday night teachers and Pioneer Clubs and Truth Quest. Thank you so much for investing, for planting seeds, and for watering. We really appreciate that. So, Stenny, are you ready to tell everybody what you believe? Yes. Okay, so first, do you admit that you're a sinner and in need of a savior? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. And do you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes. And do you accept his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life? Yes. Based on your profession of faith, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Your sins are buried with Christ in death, and you are now a new creature in, creature in Christ. My name is Strider Weinstein. I am nine years old. I received Jesus when I was in kindergarten. I believed God, Jesus, was the only way to heaven. And I knew everyone had sin. To be saved, I confessed I had sin in my heart and knew I could never be perfect. I believed what the Bible says about how Jesus died on the cross to take away my sins. I trust that Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven. I love all the verses in the Bible. If I had to choose a favorite, I would pick Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. It starts off as, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This verse is important to me because I used to have trouble being brave. I used to have nightmares I thought were real. This verse helped me know that God is always protecting me. I do not struggle with those fears anymore, thanks to this verse. Since I'm a Christian, I feel happier and nicer. This, as I grow in Christ, I'll become more like Christ. I want to be a good example to others and show the world that I believe in Jesus. This is why I want to get baptized. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Strider, I just want to say how happy I am to have you as a brother in Christ. You recognize that you're a sinner and you've done wrong things? Yes. You recognize that Jesus lived a perfect life? And died upon the cross and rose again? Yes. You accept him as your savior? Yes. All right, what we're doing here is symbolizing the death and resurrection of Christ and that you now share with him. All right. Hold your nose. All right, I baptize you in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mitchell Sterling. I grew up in Miami, Florida when I was adopted when I was five years old. Um, my mom made sure I went to church every Sunday school and, um, and every, um, she made sure I made, she made sure I went to church. <laughs> and uh, I went with my family. Um, we went to a traditional congregational church um, and I was baptized when I was six years old by the pastor Reverend Morey, which means a lot to me. Um, I live my life as any normal person would, hanging out with friends and doing all the outdoor things in Miami. I played soccer and all the different sports. Um, my grandfather and I were very close. 
I looked up to him, and he was very important to me. He was the only father figure that I ever knew, and when he passed away, it took a real toll on my life. I eventually turned to drugs and violence, and when um, and then eventually get me in, in jail, and um, I died to the outside world, and I turned to Christ. I found a Bible. And I started reading, though I didn't, I remembered all the stories from Sunday school. Um, there was a lot that I didn't understand. In jail, a man came to me and asked me if I knew what I was reading. And I told him I didn't understand a lot of what I was reading. And he shared and helped me to understand. And most importantly, he showed me how I could accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um, it became clear to me that all sin makes you fall short from the glory of God, and any sin is enough to separate you from a holy and perfect God. My sin is certainly bad, but all sin is bad. And I certainly learned that everyone does sinful things, and those things are enough to keep you from God. After that, I had received Christ, and my priorities have changed. I sought to help others and better myself by following Christ and his teachings, and and seeking to honor him in all that I do. Eventually, after leaving Miami, I moved to Jacksonville, where I found Christian Family Chapel through friends, and I uh, thought I had found my, uh, my church family, and I felt home here, and I do. And um, I started going on Thursday night worship, which worked great for me because of work, and, uh, and I still go on Sunday mornings as well. Um, I've attended a new members class, and I believe that I was guided here by Christ's Spirit, and that I will continue to grow and develop and work on the areas that I am lacking. It says, um, it is my desire as a Jesus Christ follower to be baptized in obedience with his command. It says, believe and be baptized. Amen. Praise the Lord, his mercy. More stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Mitch, you know that you are completely unworthy of the grace of God, and you're falling on his mercy and grace, trusting him alone for your salvation and for life. you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in his death, raised to newness of life in Christ. What an incredible testimony, little children that Jesus leads to himself and men who are walking in darkness. What an incredible God, God we have that would offer us crumbs, uh, and even more than crumbs, we who are so unworthy. What a great day to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Jesus, we who were lost and separated from you and completely unworthy can be made alive in Christ. 
Thank you for the stories of these folks this morning who have admitted that they are broken and in need of your mercy. And so, Lord, thank you that we can celebrate that so tangibly in the act of baptism. We pray for these folks and pray that they would have many years of continued walking in obedience to you. Lord, thank you that we can celebrate your mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, I wanted to remind you, Thursday night is our first Christmas Eve service. That's in like five days or something like that. It's crazy. So if you haven't gotten your tickets, we've got some tickets left for our Thursday night and our 9.30 and 11 um, next Sunday on Christmas Eve. Those tickets are gone. We've got 4.30 and 6 o'clock. If you're um, either auditorium you're in, as you walk out, you'll have those tickets. They're free, but if we just ask that you would take one for each person that would be coming to make sure we can accommodate everyone. And also, if you are new to the chapel, maybe you've come for a few weeks, we have a guest reception today if you would like to come and uh, meet some of the staff and talk to us, and we'll see how you can be connected here. Um, I hope we go to celebrating His mercy today. Have a blessed one.